This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. Hello listeners, uh, this is DM Carl. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Wizard Funk. Wizard Funk is an old school zine by DM Dice Bro. And uh, I'm talking to you about this for a couple of reasons. One uh, is because uh, DM Dice Bro is a cool guy. I've gamed with him at conventions. Uh, I really uh, like the dude. And um, he wrote about one of my games, my Discos and Dragons game that I ran at GaryCon last year. Uh, in the first Wizard Funk zine. And he is currently kickstarting the second Wizard Funk zine. We talked a little bit about this on an episode that unfortunately uh, got garbled up by computers. Uh, so I wanted to just take a moment and tell you about it, tell you about the Kickstarter, and uh, just kind of spread the word about what I think is a really cool old school fantasy role-playing zine. Now, I do want to mention that this is not paid promotion or anything like that. Uh, DM Dicebro doesn't even know that I'm putting this uh, information on the podcast. I just wanted to share the love and let you know about Wizard Funk and you can check that out at Kickstarter under Wizard Funk 2. Thanks and thank you for listening. Welcome to the D&D World. Meet you by the art in a circle on the hallway floor I made up a new map last night It's got a dragon and a wizard fight No, I mean, like, we probably should have written some show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, uh, another thing I didn't do was listen to the original episode recently for, like, <laughs> since we're revisiting a topic. So, you know, let's see how this one goes. I but just li- I just left listening- on. <laughs> Go ahead. But listening to the original Crispy might skew your current Maybe. thoughts or everybody's thoughts going forward. So sometimes it's best for a fresh start. Well, yeah, cause I'm not like super familiar on this module. So like like I I own it now. You know, I, I read it today and I've lis- I I've listened to the previous review at some point. Probably mul- at multiple points. See, I just left the show notes blank for the audience to fill in on their own. Oh, it's like a it's like a connect the dots sort of, or like a Mad Lib. A <laughs> fill in the blank to make sure they're paying attention through the entire episode. There it will be a quiz on. No, it's a direct reference to what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of which, welcome to the Saber Night Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Crispy. You know, I put it down and you didn't pick it up, and it it's very disappointing to me, Crispy. Hi, I'm Carl. I- <laughs> and apparently I'm not disappointing because I didn't pick it up. I'm Courtney. I don't know. I think there's a double standard here. Like, like <laughs> Courtney's getting off, like, easy because she's the DM's wife. He just has his lower expectations for my ability oh. to pick up on a reference. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like... <sighs> You weren't like a nerd growing up in like the same way we were, so like I don't think you were socialized in that manner. Because like you know, you're cool, you did like sports. And <laughs> <shit>. Oops. 
That's the one for this year. <laughs> oh, man, it's only February. Oh, no. <laughs> it also required me to remember things that happened in the past. Uh, anyways, so for speaking of filling in the blanks, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're doing on Seamless. this episode. Seamless, Chris. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I've been doing this for 10 years. Um, we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to do a review on this episode of Dungeon Module B1 in search of the unknown. We are revisiting this topic as a show, but this topic was first visited in the Save or Die podcast Adventure 1. The very first episode of this podcast uh, looked into B1, and so we're going to look into it again with our, our our own perspective and talk about In Search of the Unknown. So, uh, let's get some first impressions. Uh, I'm going to start with Courtney. Courtney has, well, you wouldn't remember, but I was going to ask, has Carl ever run this adventure for you? Or have you ever played this adventure before? As far as I know, Carl has not, but um, I did, if I'm remembering correctly, Bad Mike ran this at North Texas when we played yeah, that he, game. He yes. does that uh, every year, I think. Yes. I remember it was a lot of fun. I remember zero details. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> not your fault. I promise not your fault. <laughs> Y'all, it's it's always a new day. <laughs> Um, so my first impressions from reading B1 is, so you all know I am a player and not a DM, but I feel like the level of detail in the description of the rooms that even though it would be rough and rocky start, that I feel like I could muddle my way through being a dungeon master for this module and figure it out and even though it wouldn't be seamless like storytelling kind of ad libbing my own thing about the different rooms like i feel like i'd have to be like oh you're going in this room okay let me look it up okay here's what you see let me read it to you like i feel like it would be pretty rough but i feel like it gives you enough detail in each room that i could kind of just read it and i wouldn't have to fill in the blanks um to keep the thing going um on my own and that i could also predetermine which monsters were going to be in which rooms beforehand and have that all prepared so that I'm almost more just kind of guiding and presenting as we go as opposed to having um, a sandbox type area where people just kind of go and explore different areas where and then you just kind of I guess some DMs kind of just filled in as they go so that the players more so lead the story as in this module I feel like it would be a good new dm module to run as well as an experienced dm could kind of make it their own and change or add in different things that are in different rooms if they want it i think that's really salient because you know it's like the introductory module um and it has like such great advice for new dms like for how to run the game and like what sort of attitude you should have to like make things the most fun carl uh have you ever run this before I have not. I'm guessing you also played it at North Texas with Bad Mike. I did. I you remember, probably remember. I remember parts of that. Um. So uh, we kind of um, barreled through it a little bit when we played it at uh, uh, Bad Mike's B1 game, and I think partly because he has this really cool uh, one-inch graphed map that somebody made for him of both the levels. And so oh, wow. you can kind of see a little bit like where you could go and 
where you would want to go to kind of complete the module, which wasn't really necessarily his intention. His intention was for us to just adventure with NB1 and see what happens. But I guess enough of us were just task-oriented enough to be like, no, 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 let's beeline for the end of the module. And so uh, we kind of did that and uh, ended up succeeding with minimal uh, character death. You know, he has his different versions, and that's uh, something that's, uh, allowed for in the module, in fact, encouraging the module. And that's one of the things I love about this module is picking up used copies of it and seeing everybody's little handwritten ideas and notes and what monsters they put where. And sometimes they pull just from the back um, options or sometimes they uh, write their own. I think the one I have, or at least one of the ones I have, has like a fire sword drawn out on it. It was like fire sword, just real big. On some, some little kid, when they had it, wrote that. And that's just awesome to see this kind of like still life of gaming culture right in front of you as they scribble out their own ideas. My copy of a uh, B2 has that it's got stuff that's highlighted mm. that the DM wanted to like either remember or tell the players. And then the, um, the cover has hand-drawn ladders where I guess players had put like, they had made new routes, which is really huh. cool. I was like, who had this? Like who did this? That's cool. Um, I know Bad Mike has like six different versions or something like that, right? Yeah, around that six, seven, eight. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we um, played one of them. It was it was good. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as the module and my impression of it, I would modify this quite a bit before running it. Mm -hmm. I I would probably build in some sort of way to interact with Rogon and Zeligar. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether they'd be returning or whether they would be ghosts, you know, depending on which way you wanted to take that. Oh, man, one could be a lich and the other could be a death knight. Mm hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they would both have. I mean, voice. you're level one to three, so maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, they could, <laughs> if you're just like, and that's the end of the game, <laughs> and, you know, but they're, they're uh, weak. So yeah, I would, I would modify. I think a lot of, of it, there's a lot of, you know, the language is, is verbose. And part of that's just because it was to kind of pad out everything you possibly could for the new dungeon master. Um, to me, I would love to see like a bullet point version of this module that I could then modify and, and work with to, to make it more to my style. I think there's a lot of, in this module, uh, finding stuff that is not interesting. Like there's a lot of stuff where you, you search through the bookshelf and there's nothing interesting and you search for the closet mm -hmm. and there's nothing interesting. There's this thing and it's not valuable because you have to break it to get off the wall. And it's like, well, okay, but that's a whole lot of, uh. That's a whole lot of running into nothing. Now, I know you put your own treasures in there and you can make it as interesting as you want uh, by doing so. Uh, but I, I felt a little lackluster when I was reading about all of the illusionary everything. Yeah, I had the same kind of first impression uh, as the two is use. Um, <laughs> one, I think that like I love the the amount of description and like thought that has gone into like the room descriptions, but then it also it, it it's pretty bare bones. And I would also modify this like pretty heavily. Um I like that it's a sort of fill in the blank kind of thing. You can either do it on the fly if you just like copy down the um tables or you can plan it out. And uh, I think it's I don't know, I think this is a great 
I think this is a really great teaching tool over like B2, but, but I think they do different things. Like this is just straight up a dungeon crawl. And, and like, I think this would be a great jumping off point uh, for a mega dungeon. As you know, that's like my, that's been the <laughs> thing that's been on my mind gaming wise lately. But you know, you get like two floors and it's like 60 something rooms. One thing when I was reading, it says like, you know, I can just like steal this first level and have that be a level. It's true. Yeah. Maybe have it just be the first level and then have all the stuff I've created after that. What's the point of that? Uh, so I have to do less work. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. But like, what are you creating that, creating this mega dungeon for? Uh, it's going to be the thing I run uh, for pickup games uh, and also conventions. So like if I have enough of it done next year for ARPG Con, like I can actually run something. Maybe do like a drop in drop out thing like uh, DM Crafty does. Um, but yeah, so like I I really like this module. Uh, I think there's a lot of tools in here that I would just steal for anytime games. Um, like just not even a game based in this module, like the uh, the hirelings uh section and like you know like quick character generation rules like roll a die on this table roll a die on this table roll a die on this table and you're done kind of thing like i love that i've made several things like that not knowing that this existed and it's like oh well i wish i could get those hours of my life back but you know live and learn yeah, I think on the face of this, part of part of the challenge of talking about this module is it is a fill in the blank module. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of blank. Uh <laughs> and because of that, yeah. it's it's harder to really speak towards how it functions uh on its own without filling in those blanks. Um mm -hmm. so I I think if I were to run this module, I would I would probably be very uh methodical about how I filled in those blanks and and not just roll on the charts and not even necessarily use the things from the charts and just you know uh, pull stuff from all over the place or make up my own stuff of, of where I wanted things to be and I you know there's a couple of different ways you can take this because it never really confirms the evilness of Rogan uh, and why um, oh, can't I think of the other guy's names uh, it's Rogan and Zill. Hold on. It's Zill. Zill. Rogan and Zill. No, uh, you, it never really confirms the evil. Rogan and Pizza. No, I'm right there. It never really confirms the evilness, the full evilness of Rogan and Zeligar. And so there's a little bit of room to maybe take that a couple of different ways because they're, you know, there's this kind of iconography around them a little bit that kind of hints that there may be some, some really bad stuff going on. So one way you could pull that is there is an outside evil force that caused them distress um, and, and, and have them be um, actual true heroes. And you can kind of like restore uh, faith to their name. Um, you know, it just depends. I, I, I feel like because you fill in the treasure, a lot of the stuff that, um, would be treasure in a normal module is left blank. Like, uh, for example, in the closet, there's a wooden stand in the corner of the room farthest from the door, holds several books. And, like, none of the books contain anything of use. 
like at all. Yeah. And it's throw some spell scrolls or like right. So, uh, so uh, uh, Oberon Zell Ravenheart, his uh, that's a joke for like three people. Um, I don't get like <laughs> Oberon's okay. Never, I'm not gonna get into it. Uh, just Google it, <laughs> listeners. He's a wizard, he started real life Hogwarts, except it's online. All right, um, yeah, like you know, like throw in some spell books. Well, right. Well, that's what I mean. I would be very methodical in how I place treasure. Yeah. In that room, I would probably put in a spell book that was among those books. So a- after you go through the four and you cast all of your spells to, to, you know, be able to read them, then there's at least something at the end for your effort. And you know, that's just depends on how you want to run it. There's no necessarily requirement for uh, <laughs> anything to necessarily. Um, be placed just for your your characters to find but yeah this module is really interesting because i do feel like it's a very so if you just like if you just went through and put in treasure and monsters uh if you're like a you know you're like a kid in 1981 you have a denim jacket and like a trucker hat um like if you (laughs) if you just went through and ran it out of the book as like the first dungeon for your group and that's like the thing it would be perfectly good like it's it's i think it's built up in such a point that it's a perfect starting point for a beginner but then you know like old fogies like us who've been playing D for you know ever like we could go in and really do something with the framework of it and just like the little tidbits that it puts and really make it into something special and unique so I feel like it. This module, while it is very bare bones, I think that's a. Uh, I think that's like a help, as much as it is a hindrance. A feature, not a bug. Yeah, like because I think like like when I ran Castle Amber, um, like my Castle Amber book is filled with handwritten notes of me like connecting dots for these weird things, like um. So spoiler for X2 Castle Amber. Um, one of the Ambervilles is looking for oh, never mind. I might have this wrong, but there's a there's a wild huntsman in the indoor forest who's like the wild hunt from like Celtic mythology uh, or Slavic mythology. Um, and then there's also like a, uh, one of the Ambervilles in that forest, and then there's a dragon. And I took all three of those like kind of disparate. Th- plot threads and connected them to where the dragon, it's a gold dragon in the form of a maiden, is the Amberville's um, like ward, and he's cursed and becomes the wild hunt. And so there's like a beauty and the beast kind of dichotomy going on there. But that's not in the book. That's like a how am I going to make this weird area work kind of thing. And I feel like um, like I think you should do that with every module, but I feel like this module like you, you should definitely do that with. But I think it's designed for you to do that. So do you think that there are things like I was just looking at the non-player character personality chart that as an experienced DM, you could not plan those things and then just have your players roll. And now all of a sudden you have a non-player character that's reckless and daring and loyal or whatever. And you have to figure out how to work them into your story now. Like just as like a little challenge for yourself as a DM. Yeah. Uh, I have a ledger book, like um, an old school ledger book that I have started filling out that has like hirelings 
Um, and each of them has like their one personality trait. And uh, like, you know, there's no easy die roll to develop those hirelings or decide who is where. And I feel like rolling it randomly from a like a really narrowed down set of personality traits uh, is actually like super helpful. Like I'm a I'm a cowardly but loyal. Like that's great. That's a great hireling. Yeah, I I definitely think. Um, I mean, I think I could run this and roll everything on the fly, but I don't think I would want to. I think I would want to. <laughs> yeah, I would want to sit down and like plan it out. Um, I think a really good. Uh, resource to go with this to flesh it out is uh the dungeon alphabet by goodman games like just to add like some you know weird features that you mm -hmm. could maybe even make pot hooks about because this is just a dungeon there's no like mm -hmm. home base like there is in b2 now i i think um the monsters and treasures assortment would be really great with this uh which is uh, an old od and d supplement that was just a bunch of uh, d100 lists of monsters and treasures mm -hmm. um so let's let's talk about some of the specific rooms now we got to talk about the room of pools because that's like one of <laughs> yes. the like most talked about things for this module and i think it's wonderful i love the room of pools what do you love about it I think it's one of the examples of the module actually doing something interesting uh, as opposed to a bunch of books that when you read them, they're just school notes. There, there's a little bit of, of super randomness to it, but I mean, I think you get a little bit of indication. I mean, if you, if you want to drink from a pool that's filled with a murky gray syrup, then you just, you're just risking what happens. And apparently that's a, a pool of sickness. So, you know, I mean, like, I, I think some people kind of reference this as like, this is old school play. There's a room of pools. You drink from one and you see what happens. And that's it. Like, that's the there's the chaos of it that I find intriguing. Like, just that. Yeah. Like, anytime I've ever included a pool or a fountain in a D&D &D game as a feature, it's always done something. Mm -hmm. So, like, why would you do it? If it's not like a special pool, well, there uh, there was one there's one of them that is just a drinking pool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which but, like, I think the other. I ones... mean, but there's like yeah, there's like a lot. So, <laughs> um, there's also the uh, the like cave of the the giant stone on page twenty three. It's a uh, the heck is LVI in Roman numerals forty five, forty six. Yeah, the Roman numerals is weird. I mean, they tried it, they saw how it worked, and they stopped doing it. So the, the updated ones went back to just numerals. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that first release of this had Roman numerals for the dungeon map, which is pretty hard to cross-reference. Um, yeah. But, uh, it's yeah, it's 45, Cavern of the Mystical Stone, which is weird because it's expecting you to chip off a piece of mystical stone and then consume or at least put it in your mouth. Which is a weird... Yeah, and there's nothing that really indicates <laughs> that like that's what you're supposed to do. I don't um, know if this is a reference to something I'm not getting, or... I, yeah, I don't know either. Uh, I think it's like, I think this room is interesting, and the, the giant, like, the giant stone is interesting. Like, that was, when I was reading through this, I was like, how would I modify this for myself? Like, to maybe put in more of a story, and have, you know, uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Zilius 
Zillomatic. Uh, I'm never going to say their names correctly. So to have them be like more of a feature is like maybe this like weird alien meteorite mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is, um, is what like corrupted them or what caused them to go missing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. I, I don't know that I would ever, I mean, players try lots of weird stuff, but I don't know if I would expect them to chip off a piece of magic stone and put it in their mouth to see what happens. <laughs> I think you would have to, what I would do with it, because I, when I, I don't agree with myself on this because I don't like fudging. Like I'm very like, I'm not into fudging for things. I would, I, um, I see where you're going. You're going to make it yeah. fudge. And then yes. everybody so, will like, eat it. <laughs> one of the abilities is it grants a limited wish right sure and so like that's the first one uh that you you could do or you know one of the like raises a stat or something like that like oh you feel like you feel stronger and then be like you have a you now have an 18 strength instead of a 17 strength um and then now everyone wants to eat a piece of rock and that's when you start having fun with it but, but but where do you, how do you get that first person to be like yeah. oh man sure would like some piece of magic rock in my yeah. face <laughs> like you could put it in uh like zillart you could put it uh in like his study he has like a journal like all like mm-hmm. um, oh, all gandalf it. style uh, the 15th age year 433 the stone we excavated under the ca- the caverns of Cascoton. Ingesting it gives you mystical abilities. I think you should just say taste delicious. <laughs> it smells like cinnamon. Courtney, what is your thought on either the room of pools or the stone you're supposed to consume? I'm, I like the idea that Chrissy said of having like a way to find out that you're supposed to do something with the stone, that you're supposed to chip it off, that you're supposed to carry it with you. Um... I guess I hate telling them everything about putting it in their mouth and then you get a special ability. Like, I guess I kind of want it to still be a little bit vague. Like, if you put it in your mouth, is it going to be good or is it going to be bad? Do you know? Do you risk it? I know they have to work to find the information in the first place, but I guess I kind of still feel like if they find that information, still kind of having that risk of what's going to happen. Kind of like getting a potion of some sort. You know, hey, I have a potion, but ooh, I don't know if this is a healing potion or a poisonous potion. So that's how I feel about that. What was the other question? The room of pools. Oh, the room of pools. Um, I think it's interesting because I mean, if I was, if I were playing, I would probably. I don't know if I would just start drinking things unless somebody did, or I decided to risk it and came across a really good one. But I think I would at least try and bottle some something up and take it with me or at least check them out and see what they are but yeah um because i mean some of them you could like look at and get details of and then be like oh i'm not touching that or i am that or that just looks like water let me see what i find out but yeah like from my experience playing D D, like which is why the stone is so weird because if you put a pool in a dungeon more often than not, I do find that it's very easy to tempt your players into drinking from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't do it, but I think if I came to a room full of lots of pools, I would, would be a little skeptical. Yeah, you would know, like, oh, something's up here. Yes, but if I just heard, 
there's a room with lots of pools. I think I would just assume, I don't know, I guess I might would ask, like, can I see the bottom? Yeah, they're all different. Is it clear? So there's right. a little bit of a, a hint. Like, you know, there's one that's full of a greenish liquid of varying shades, and one's just crystal clear, and one's steaming and bubbling. Like, obviously, you would be able to narrow down your choices. You don't necessarily want to drink the boiling water. <laughs> one is just filled with fish. That's true. There is one that is just a fish pool, which is, I think, great. I this If this dungeon was just called the Room of Pools, and that was the only room, I might like it better. What's your favorite pool? My favorite pool? Both of you. Um, one at a time. I like the where's the the like pool of muting. I think is interesting. Yeah, because like you have to really get in there. You have to be like real desperate for a drink from that pool to get to it. Yeah, it's almost empty. There's a small amount of water, but if you drink it, you cannot talk for one to six hours, which hmm. I mean destroys your magic user. Yeah, like there's so many provisions about like so like the pool of wine if you take the wine away from it. Like if you drink directly from the pool, you get like just drunk instantly for hours. But if you take wine away from it, it like it loses all of its person mm -hmm. potency. Yeah. And it's, uh, I see what you're saying. It's per pool. Like, so the yeah. pool of healing, you have to drink directly from the pool. If you try to like stock up on healing potions, uh, it will not work. Um, I can understand why they did that. Uh, uh, that makes sense just because otherwise you're giving your players I mean, infinite healing potion because this thing refills. So it would just depend on the pool and the circumstance. Like, you know, the pool of acid is really nasty if you mess around with it. But if you're able to, like, collect some, you know, it says it will eat through any container within two melee rounds. But you could obviously make your own judgment call as the dungeon master yeah. on that. Can you know, like, catch a fish be... and then put it in the hot pool and eat it? <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> Doesn't Boiled say you can't. Fish. Doesn't say you can't. Yeah, they're just normal fish. It specifically states that they are. Oh, normal it says fish. a high mineral content, though. Mercury levels can be rough. Uh, um, what are some other? Like, I I love all the room descriptions, but I didn't think any of them were like they're like really f well fleshed out, but they weren't like. That interesting? Um, I think the Room of Bats is pretty interesting. The Room of Bats was the other interesting one, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is definitely... I, I could definitely see a group of adventurers just treading water in there for a long time, <laughs> killing individual bats and not getting anywhere. And the bats don't hurt you, uh, but they uh, do cause you issues, especially with wandering monsters. Uh, they don't do any damage to you, and you can hit them and uh, kill them on any single hit. But there's a ton of them, so you're swinging your sword, killing a bat, swinging your sword, killing a bat. There's an arena in this dungeon. It's on the same page as the Cave of Bats. Um, and, like, I don't know. There's, like, there's a lot of potential here, but out of the box, it's not great. Like, you could definitely have, you know, like, skeletal gladiators. Like, some Harryhausen skeletons in, like, leather armor. And they animate when you get in the arena. And then, like, a spectral crowd of, like, ghost fans, like, forms. And, like, you have to, like, you have to put on yeah. a show for, like, Spectre Caesar. <laughs> but, I mean, at the same time, that's kind of the point. You decide what treasure and what monster is in each room. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you've just done that. Um, so, yeah, again, it's really hard to, like, 
say yay or nay or thumbs up or thumbs down because it really is a take this and do what you want. And I think it serves that function. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of like um, the treasure cave. So it says this secret room itself opening to a quarter shielded by secret doors on either end was designed as a hiding place for the valuables in the stronghold. There is a scattering of gold pieces, 11 to 30, uh, on the floor of the room and three locked chests, which are empty unless noted below. So it, it's, it's you know, it's up to the person who's keying the dungeon to make that treasure room exciting. You know, it would be pretty unexciting to find three chests and they all be <laughs> empty. I feel like a lot of people would be like, why have we come here and what have you done to us? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, that might be fun in its own right, too. There are quite a lot of statues in this module, from what I can remember from reading it. And, like, man, I'd, I'd like to do something where, like, the statues are, like, servants or, like, previous adventurers or, like, innocent victims who are, like, uh, turned into magical stones and, like, maybe one of the quests you're on is to free them from their curse or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's, like... There's so many things you can do with this module that it doesn't do for you. And I feel like I feel like that's a good thing. But yeah, like it's it's unfair to 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 rate it on what it doesn't do for you when it's intended yeah, exactly. to not do everything for you. I feel like we have talked about the things we like about the module and to an extent the things we don't like, but I think like the things we don't like are so easily fixable just by being a good dungeon master. Do we wanna um you I want to wrap this one up. I want to talk about two more things. Okay. All right. The first thing, the random spell tables. They're oh, I love those. great. Because, yes. and, and I may actually start using these tables for my random spell generation, period. Because they're essentially exactly like the tables you would find in Basic Expert, except they're extrapolated out. And the more... I guess useful or more common spells are listed multiple times. So you roll your cleric spells on a <clears throat> D12 and cure light wounds is on there three times. Detect magic is on there twice. Uh, for the magic user, you roll a D20. Sleep is on there three times. Charm person is on there three times. Magic missile is on there twice. So it just, it still allows you to randomly roll for spells, but it um, allows for those more useful, more common spells to be rolled more often. And I just, I mean, that's such a simple thing, but I just love that. That whole like that whole player character section, I, I'm in love with that whole part of the module. I think like everything in there's a great tool that I would want to print out and just have in my like D D binder. Well, that was the other uh thing uh, I want to talk about in the player character section. There is a pullout for the um kind of backstory of the module. Mm -hmm. And then on the opposite side of that, there's the list of the player characters that you can play if your dungeon master is using the pregens provided with the module. But under that is tips for players. And I just thought that was really cool. Like it's it's really a nice list of like do's and don'ts for Dungeons and Dragons. And it I mean like I think it's as pertinent today as it ever has been, and it's as good as a list as I've ever seen. And you, I mean, there's now a thousand YouTube videos where it was like how to be the best at D and D, and and really uh, wow everybody. And this is just it's it's as good as any of those, 
and it's you know from 1978 i mean it's just mm-hmm. it's just to me this interesting snapshot of how as much as we feel like has changed within the world of D&D how little actually has <laughs> i've read this module and i've been flipping through it and i still do not know their names <laughs> the evil wizard uh the the actual name <laughs> Zofran and his friend uh R- Rob Schneider it's the fighter Joe Joe Rogan and Zanzibar It's like Rogan and RNZ Yeah it is RNZ they use that most quite a bit Rogan the fearless and Zeligar the unknown but I mean you know his name. A, you know his uh, name pretty awesome That's like a great <laughs> wizard name There's somebody uh, uh one of the wizards in the back of the book whose uh, subtitle is The Mighty, and I was like, that's not what I would do for a wizard, but like, I want to have a character who is blah, 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 The Mighty. Be real good. Glom The Mighty, even. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Yeah. Well, okay. That, oh, man. That's all I, I could be Ego of the Holy Brotherhood. <laughs> and then, like, a monster grabs me, and then Courtney's character would be like, Lego my Ego. <laughs> Well, let's hope, would. let's hope this uh, let's hope this snake kills you so you can create ego. <laughs> Hell yeah! Um, I have a question. Why are there random words bolded and they're not titles of sections? But like within the paragraphs, there's just like mouth when it's the talking mouse and illusion uh, names of spells. Oh yeah, magic mouth. Yeah. Oh. Names of spells. Web. Is a web Why do they feel the need to make them bold? Uh, because they're the, the magic items and name of spells. They're basically so you can jump to that. And, and it lets you know that that's detailed somewhere else in the books. So like Elven Boots is there. Well, you have to go to the Elven Boots section of your basic D&D book to see what Elven Boots are. Okay. So like, well, for example. I don't example, know if that's right because like one of them... Um, Goodness gracious. In a quotation. No, yeah, you're right. Um, it's not that. Where he's like, wait a minute. That can't be like that. We just came that way. I think it has to do with this was made by a bunch of like comic book nerds in the 70s. Mm. Uh, and they used to do that in comic books all the time. Yeah, I just I just saw that same thing you were referencing. And I was like, yeah, the players believe they are facing. Well, yeah, so that's... Maybe shoot, it's just bolded that for emphasis? shoots my theory, yeah. But it does definitely bold spells. Yeah, like dispel magic and read magic. Well, all right. There's not a good answer. <laughs> I think comic book nerd might be as good as it gets. <laughs> I, I Courtney brought up the magic mouths. Uh, like that was one of my favorite things to read. I was like, man, that's the cheesy stuff that I'm definitely into D and D for. Mm-hmm. Both mouths, they definitely have different voices in my head. Oh, for like sure. One's like, like a low pitched one, and then the one is more like a shriller, high pitched one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, is that? Did we cover everything you wanted to yeah. talk about, Carl? I think we. Yeah, yeah. We're we're good. We can wrap it up. To wrap it up, we should give this a go. <laughs> All we right. should give this a go. You, you, uh, you. Who wants to be who? Courtney, do you want to be? <laughs> oh, you mean like too? give it a play? Like no, play no, 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 no. Magic I'm saying, mouth. Yeah, we're gonna do the magic mouth text right now. Oh, hang on, I gotta go back to it. It's page eight. Hang There's on. There's only two parts, so I'll just I'll just listen. <laughs> what is your idea? 
<laughs> well, yeah, I don't want to take all the glory. Are we going to be able, over the internet, to save a third line in unison, though? Absolutely. I don't think we will you just be. just take a pause, and then you say it together. You can do it. I just got, I got real shy all of a sudden. Who dares enter this place and intrude upon the sanctuary of its inhabitants? Only a group of foolhardy explorers doomed to certain death. All right, same time. Whoa, Whoa to any who passed this place. place. The, the wrath, wrath of Zelagar and Joe Rogan will be will upon be them. Uh, thank you, Carl. <laughs> thank you for throwing that in there. <laughs> You're welcome. Ah, uh, uh, so I think we should we should still do a recommend, not recommend, or not. Um, I definitely I recommend this. I think it's good. I think it's. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's good, but I think there's like <laughs> <laughs> caveat. It's good, you. I don't. <laughs> I think it's good, except I don't. Uh, I think it's good asterisk. Uh, there's a lot of potential. I think there's a lot you could do with this. And like, I understand reading through it. Finally, I understand why bad. Mike, this is like his bread and butter, um, like module to Reddit conventions. Cause I'm sure he's done all kinds of the customizations we've been talking about. There's zero chance. He's not sick of it by now. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote like a follow-up module to it. He wrote like B1.5. Um so I think yes, I would recommend this. I think not only is it um a module that you can really make your own. I mean, you're almost I mean, you're required to make it your own. Um on top of that, it's an interesting snapshot of D&D history, especially if you can find the Holmes basic version. Uh, and then on top of that, it's got just fantastic Sutherland art, and I love Sutherland art. So I think it's good. I think it serves its purpose, which is an introductory module. Um, I think it's an introductory module for both the DM and the player. And I think it's kind of something that with cu customizations can grow with a um, party, a group of friends, um, the DM, as well as the players as they go. I give it thumbs up. Yeah, well said. All right. So uh, that'll be our show for this episode. Be sure to stay to the end uh, to hear our actual play podcast. Uh, and we don't have any emails this time around. Uh, so womp womp. Send us email your emails. Us. Yeah, email us at questions at saverdiet.info. And uh, as we always say, no. Peace out, Cub Scout. Oh. <laughs> they won I it. Totally, I'm sorry. I totally flashed back to uh, 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 Eat a Plastic. Eat a Plastic. No, why? <laughs> I was like, we why? forgot about that. Chris, I thought Crispy was doing so. No, I'm I was still, setting up Courtney. I'm still genuinely surprised by the by the Peace Out Cub Scout. I don't know why that still like genuinely surprises me, but I literally thought you were going to say keep it classic eat a plastic and I was like no don't and now I have so alright I was setting Courtney up no no it's fine we need to edit all that out no that's the end now bye are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now great why not head over to patreon.com slash WGP and support that show for as little as dollar a month 
dollar a month goes a long way to helping support the network wild games productions again that's patreon.com slash wgp thank you So you like AD&D 2nd Edition but no podcast to listen to? Guess what? We got the cure right here. I got a fever. And the only prescription is the Thaco's Hammer Podcast. You want me to put the hammer down? Join DM's Glenn, Brian, Corey, and full-on gamer as they discuss, debate, and review the world of 2nd Edition AD&D. Yes. Go here. Give me a jit. Yeah, that's that's DM Corey ordering drinks. Sorry, sorry, girlfriend's getting gin. Rules, modules, supplements, clones, everything 2E is fair game. Someone lied to you, and there's an opposed role, and oh, they won, so you believe the lie. I know, but I don't, because I, the player, know that they lied to me. But mm -hmm. you, the character, have to act like you take the lie. So listen into a podcast where number two is number one. The Thaco's Hammer Podcast, the best damn second edition ADD podcast ever. You'll find it on iTunes or at Thaco'sHammer.info. Hilda and Leothorn are in the dungeons underneath the ruined tower of Xenopus. With them are Cooper, Eric, Jan, and Brother Bowen. Jan has just pushed past Hilda and Leopard to open a door. Behind that door, there was a large snake that is coiled up to strike Jan. And at this point, we're going to roll surprise and see if our group was surprised by the giant snake that they just encountered. Who would like to roll surprise? I have a d6 in my hand currently. So I'm ready, but... Go for it. After me. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I got a one. Okay. So you are surprised. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Which means this snake is going to strike. And uh, Jan opened the door. So the snake is going to strike at Jan. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to roll for the snake. Jan has an armor class of six. Uh, meaning this snake is going to need a 12 or more to hit Yon as a two-hit die creature. And it rolled a 12. So here's the conundrum. Mm -hmm. We are playing basic expert Dungeons & Dragons using the Moldvay Cook Marsh rules. The module we're running is the sample dungeon from the Holmes Basic Rules. In the Holmes Basic Rules... There is not a giant snake. In the sample dungeon, there is a giant snake. So you kind of mm. got to fill in some blanks. One, the type of attack it has uh, is not listed. So in the BX rules, the giant snake that's the corollary to the one that would be in the Xenopus dungeon is a save or die poison. Should we make Yawn save or die on our show, save or die. I feel like, oh, of course. Yeah, the, the question answer is yes. Yeah, okay. This is a poisonous snake, and therefore, uh, Jan's gonna have to roll a saving throw or die. Uh, why don't you, Crispy, roll that saving throw for Jan? He needs a twelve or more to ooh, succeed. Ooh, no pressure. I rolled a two. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hmm. Okay. So, surprised by the sudden uh, visage before him of this coiled creature, it leaps forward and takes advantage of Jan's moment of inaction. And it bites deep into Jan's shoulder. Jan takes one point of damage, but unfortunately... Uh, the poison enters his veins and he starts to foam at his mouth and Jan collapses in front of you. The snake now coils back, ready to strike again, and we will roll initiative. Courtney, how about you roll initiative for us? And I'll roll initiative for the snake and we're just going to roll side-based initiative. Uh, you either win or the snake wins, so your whole group will get to go or the snake will get to go. Okay. Four. Uh, two. So you guys are going to get to go before this snake takes another move. Nice. Hmm. Have we... Do I have spells right now? You should have spells right now. I think I do. I think I just have sleep. So, you know, like... Do I just have sleep? Oh, I mean, we're right there. Like, I could hit this thing with my axe. Yeah, is, we could do that. That is correct. I mean, let's... I mean, I don't assume we want to try and charm the snake. That seems silly. I left my, like, weird, like, flute at home. (laughs) (laughs) Hate it when that happens. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's hit it. Let's, let's I mean, it did just kill our friend that we... Let's all four of us now hit it. All right. I'm going to swing my axe. Ah, I rolled a three. A three, yeah, that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen, unfortunately. So you swing your axe at the snake, and it's coiled back and and ready for you, and moves out of the way. And now it's going to go to you, Crispy. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna also hit it with my two-handed sword. Okay. Um, worse. I, 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 well, actually, I also rolled a three because of bonuses. (laughs) Because of bonuses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm looking at your character sheet here, and that leads me to believe that you rolled a two. <laughs> I, I did. Okay. All right. Well, hey. Um, also a miss. Now, here's the situation. You guys are in an entryway. There's mm-hmm. an elf with a two-handed sword and a dwarf. So the question now becomes, who else can squeeze through and attack? And because you are an elf and a dwarf, I'm going to allow one person to come through to help you. The other two will have to wait in the hall. Um, And I think by just the nature of these people, that person's going to be Cooper. So Cooper comes up to the side of you and is uh, carrying a normal sword. And Cooper is going to swing and attack this snake. And Courtney, why don't you roll for Cooper? He gets a plus two on his roll. 20. 18 plus. Okay. Uh, Roll a d8 for damage. And also add two. Uh, Three plus two, five. Okay. So Cooper stabs forward. Uh, He's coming uh, uh, to your side. And Leothard, you're currently swinging over the dwarf's head. uh, Her being a little bit uh, shorter than you. And you're able to do that without too much trouble uh, with your uh, 
longer weapon there. Uh, Cooper comes to the side of you and lunges his sword into the snake, causing five points of damage. The snake is not down. It's still wriggling around, and it's going to take its attack now, and then we'll roll initiative again. It's attack on uh, Cooper, because Cooper is the one that hit it. Uh, and it rolls a nat one. The, the the sword strike still stuck in it. It tries to uh, move in on Cooper, pushing the sword further into it. It's unable to get to it. Uh, it reels from the pain. And now we're going to roll initiative again. And uh, Crispy, why don't you roll initiative this time on a D6? I rolled a six. I rolled a three. All right. So it's going for Cooper one more time. And this time it rolled a natural two. Uh, again, missing. And now it's going to go to you, Crispy. All right. Uh, I am going to hit it again, or try to. Okay. Uh, I rolled a 16 total. That is going to hit this snake. Nice. And uh, I rolled an 8 total. An 8 total for a total of Mm -hmm. 13 points of damage, and this snake falls to the ground. You slice through it with your greatsword, beheading this snake, and it falls down uh, at your feet. You are now in the doorway with your friend Jan at your feet having succumbed to the poison Um, but other than that you are unharmed Does Jan have anything we can use? (laughs) (laughs) Well let's take a look Jan Hilda was not particularly well-armed or armored. He does have a sword, a helmet, uh, some leather armor, a bow, a dagger. Gives on the bow. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has some playing cards. He has some wineskins. Uh, but other than that, nothing of much use. Now, are you are you suggesting this out loud in front of Cooper and his other friends? I mean, Jan's dead, right? Right. We can't. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, when you're suggesting this, let's see if there's anything we can use. They're totally fine with that, too. Uh, Jan was a recent addition, and they're not uh, that uh, married to the idea of, of not robbing his corpse. Uh, so Poor Jan! <laughs> so everybody descends, uh, looks through his stuff, uh, finds anything they can use. Among the stuff already mentioned, there was also... A um, in his pack, some rations, a crowbar, uh, some stuff that you really can't use, but they did also have a lantern uh, and some uh, jugs of lamp oil. So, you know, you don't necessarily want his cloak or his clothes or anything, but you do find some useful stuff. I'm gonna, can I take the crowbar or do you want it? Oh, you can have it. How many can arrows? I? Okay, but if you're, but you're gonna have to wipe that. Poor Yawn from memory. <laughs> Poor Yawn. I'm going to take that crowbar, though. <laughs> to remember him by, Got I it. shall cherish it as a memento of my fallen friend. How many arrows does he have? <laughs> I will also sketch Yawn's name in the side of these arrows. Uh, 24 arrows. And it's a short bow, long bow. What are we talking about here? It's a uh, long bow. Can I wear his helmet? Yeah. To remember him by. <laughs> hey, I was not on the up and up on this. Even though I feel like it's only practical. Yeah, I mean, like, we're not monsters. He doesn't need the helmet anymore. 
Exactly. Didn't do him much good to begin with. <laughs> Valid point. <laughs> but hey, you know, if the snake had tried to bite his head, it may have helped. Does the helmet change my armor class? No. It's oh, pretty much it's just assumed, decorative. Yeah, it's pretty much assumed you're probably wearing a helmet as is. There's no there's no rules in basic expert for additional armor class from helmets. Well, or then, even like separate head armor class. That's not a thing in, in basic expert. What's the room that we're like? What's our situation look like right now? I, I forget the geometry of where we're right. at. Right. So you just made it to this room, and the only thing that we've really uh, uh, thought about for some time is the snake. There is a staircase leading up, and on that staircase are uh, some statues of people uh, running up the stairs. Very strange statues. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Leothard, I say we uh, don't go that way quite yet until we figure out why they're statues. Like, I'm afraid that, that if the... we go up there that we're going to also turn to statues. But they're running oh, up the stairs, that right? Away from what's behind us? Um, so you are in a 40-foot circle, essentially, with a spiral staircase on the side. There are... Um, statues of people going up the stairs but they were there's they're sculpted to be in motion hmm. sculpted or petrified and they go all the way up the stairs no there's only like two at the base like yeah. close to the bottom correct so they're and not they were trying it, they to didn't run. make it very far correct they're trying to run up the stairs they they're they're sculpted as if they were walking up the stairs or walking or moving or running up the stairs is that in the opposite direction of where we came or did we come from a different direction um i mean the stairs are spiral and go up to a trap door so they just go up somewhere uh but it is um where are their backs uh, relative to? The... I mean, it, it's it's about three hundred feet away from uh, where you came down into the dungeon at. You've you've. I mean, that Hilda would be able to tell you that basically is like uh, we're we're not really close to where we came from. Leothard, what mm. if we use Yawn as a <laughs> test subject and <laughs> we toss him onto the stairs? To see if he too turns into stone. <laughs> they do say that stone milling is is less expensive than cremation these days. Uh, Cooper says, "Yeah, that's a good idea." But Jan's uh, pretty big. We'd all have to lift with our legs. <laughs> there is four of us, certainly. <laughs> I'm stronger than I look. There's five of you. There's Cooper, Eric, brother There's Bowen. And the two of you. Hmm. There's five of us. So yeah, let's uh, let's just let's like four of us grab like two of us get like a bunch of fabric by his shoulders, and then like two of us get a bunch of fabric like on his legs, and we just hoist him up, and one, two, and then give him a toss forward. <laughs> All right. So you throw the corpse of Vian onto the stairs. And <laughs> he falls down with a rather loud plop uh, and hits the stairs and nothing happens to him. Hmm. Seems safe to me. <laughs> Is there anything beyond the staircase? There's a trap door at the top of them. 
Oh, I, I meant the like, room. Um, yeah, there's not vertically there is a, there's, a, there's another door in this room leading south. Where is that door in relation to the direction they were running? Well, so the stairs are like if you came through the door you came through. That door mm-hmm. you were also walking south. So you came oh, through that. It's a spiral staircase. I'm sorry. Like yes, yeah. Okay. And so it's a circular room, and the and the stairway um, travels up one uh, side of the wall. Um, but it's it's only like half the circle. Mm. So it sort of like starts at the door you came in through, and uh, cuts off before the door that's c- continuing south across from you. Okay. So we didn't run anything that like petrifies us the way we came. And I'm sure that like they they were probably trying to run to some sort of escape route in like the ceiling that trap door. Uh so I'm guessing that whatever like, you know, whatever petrified them came from the door opposite of us. So I think my vote is that we check out the staircase and the trap door. Do we have, is there any other tests we want to attempt before we go up or do we want to just take a step and see what happens and assume that it's our theory is correct? I mean, I feel like we've tested all we can test. Hmm. What if will you help me lift up one of these statues? Would we be able to, the two of us, to, like, hoist a statue and maybe, like, walk up the stairs a little bit more with it? What? For what reason? <laughs> uh, I want to get close to the trap door, carry one of the statues up, and then throw it over the railing so that it falls from, like, roughly roof height to the floor and hopefully shatters and causes a big commotion. But we'll be above whatever entrance that the thing is coming from. Well, hopefully. Um, and, you know, maybe if it, if it comes out of that door opposite of us, then we can just, like, nope out and go through the trap door. Mm, that sounds like it's a possibility of a good idea. <laughs> yeah, because, like, if the statues, like, working under the assumption that these people have been petrified... By some sort of mythological beast, right? Like, they were trying to run up the stairs before they got petrified. Let's make sure we can get the trap door open before we do this. Okay, yeah, that's a really good idea. (laughs) Who wants to go up first? I think that we should let Eric go first. (laughs) Eric, would you like to lead us up the stairs? Um, Now that Jan's gone, it's time for you to start showing some initiative. Really, really find yourself in a leadership position. Eric kind of looks at you and he seems a little concerned, a little worried. He just saw someone die and now you're saying you should lead the way. Uh, And before too much uh, time and hesitation, Cooper says, I'll go up first. Mm. So if you're wanting Cooper to walk up the stairs and open the trap door, he will attempt it. Don't want him to open the trap door yet. I thought that was the plan. I apologize. Well, eventually, but... You just want him to see I think if we were it just can to see if we can open be it. opened. Well, like I want to make sure the stairs aren't gonna hurt everyone else first, and then. Well, he he get... walks up the stairs, no problem. So he's up the stairs. He's up the trap door. The only way that he's gonna be able to test to see if it's gonna be opened is by trying to open it. 
Right, so how much room is at the top? Should we go ahead and carry the statue to the top first? And I'll be up there when he opens the trap door? I think we should try to open the trap door first. Trying to make as little noise as we can. Okay. Uh, until we're ready to like spring our diversion. To see if we can lure whatever this thing is out. If there even is a thing with that assumption. Um, but I definitely think we should like do a like a dry run and make sure that the trap door can be opened. Okay. I would like to also follow Coop up, uh, but be like, oh, you know, 10, 15 feet behind him. Okay. I will ready my longbow. So right now, uh, Cooper is about to try to open up this trap door. He's at the top of the stairs, and Leothward is on the stairs about 10 feet behind Cooper with his bow drawn. And uh, the rest of you are on the floor waiting to see what happens as Cooper reaches up to open the trap door. And I think that's where we're going to be done tonight. <laughs> for what? <laughs> this, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> for the adventure so far, uh, Hilda and Leothard and Cooper and Eric, Brother Bowen, will return next time on Save or Die to uh, have more adventures and see what's behind this door at the ceiling. Hmm. I wonder what it is. The Saver Die Podcast is a production of Wild Games Production, and is produced for entertainment purposes only. The music used in the intro and outro is by Tripod and used with permission. Be sure to visit the Saver Die crew at saverdie.info for more information. If you'd like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash WGP.